morning. By grace I am redeemed. By grace I am restored. What perfect words to uh, move us into the account of God opening the heart of Lydia to uh, the gospel. I love that the the ministry of the word in song here uh, often serves the ministry of the word in preaching. Uh, We'll start in Acts 16 this morning. So please uh, turn there in your Bible, Acts 16, uh, verse 6, and if you're using a pew Bible, you can find your place on page uh, 925, and and while you're turning there, I do want to clarify something about last week's sermon, Uh, and this is especially for my sisters in the room. So last week, my, my outline emphasized that Christ uses qualified men to build his kingdom. Uh, those who put Christ's, uh, Christ's uh, interests above their own and, and who become servants to all and so forth. By focusing on men, by no means did I intend to minimize how the Lord also uses women uh, to build his kingdom. Uh, my intent was to focus on those men who lead and plant and then kind of broaden the application to the whole church, but the way I framed the main points around men, uh, that message certainly could have, could have been heard to kind of minimize uh, the roles of women in, in the church. And I want to I own that as just bad communication on my part. Um, if I ever re-preach that sermon, I want the main points to present a, a more holistic picture there in Acts, such as how the Lord builds His kingdom, also using godly women. Uh, who speak the word in the lives of others and exemplify sincere faith uh, as we witness in Timothy's mother, uh, Eunice. Uh, I just I wanted to clarify that as, as much as possible. Um, sisters, your partnership in the gospel is crucial and important to us here at, at Redeemer. And much thanks to the sister that brought that to my attention uh, so humbly uh, this, this past week. Um, and thank you all for, for your patience in, in preaching as I, as I grow in it as well. Uh, with that said, I'm going to jump into Acts uh, 16. And something you haven't seen to this point in Acts uh, will surprise you. Luke, the author, actually ends up entering the story himself. Uh, you can see it there in verse 10 with the first person plural. We sought to go. Um, So, meaning Luke is now traveling with Paul. Uh, We're not just getting history uh, based on other people's eyewitness accounts. We're getting history based on Luke's own eyewitness participation. And in terms of ancient historiography, Luke is the most ideal historian. Uh, I mention that to reassure you that the scriptures offer some of the best history and are worthy of serious Attention! If these matters about the risen Jesus and His growing church are in fact true, then far be it from us to ignore them. So let's pick it up in chapter 16, verse 6, and let's hear the word of the Lord. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, 
but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading, dis- leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who, heard was us, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay And she prevailed upon us. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word. I pray that you would use it now to encourage our hearts, to edify us, to build us up as a body into Christ who is our head. Um, And we ask this in his name. Amen. Okay, so let's make four observations uh, from our text this morning. The first comes in... Uh, Verses 6 to 10, the Lord Jesus guides His people by the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus guides His people by the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit in verse 6, and then the Spirit of Jesus in verse 7. They're different titles, but one in the same person. One in the same Spirit. The Spirit is not an impersonal force. The Spirit is not another mode in God's existence. He is the third person of the Trinity. And rather significant is that He's called the Spirit of Jesus. Uh, the, the, The Old Testament anticipated Yahweh pouring out His Spirit on His people in the last days. By calling the Spirit the Spirit of Jesus, Luke equates Jesus with those Old Testament expectations. As God in His own right, Jesus now gives or pours out the Holy Spirit to His people. God's powerful presence in His risen Son is mediated to us through the Spirit. The risen Christ ensures that His will on earth will prevail by the Spirit guiding the lives of His people. We could say the Holy Spirit is the chief missionary. After all, who's calling the shots in this story? It's certainly not Paul and his band of brothers. Uh, If anything, the Spirit keeps frustrating their plans. Uh, Look at verse 6. 
they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Then again in verse 7, when they had come up to Mysia, they, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Wow, twice the Holy Spirit frustrates their plans. We're not told exactly how that he, he frustrates their plans. We, we do know from uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 32, that Silas, who's one of the guys traveling with him, Silas was a prophet. Uh, the Spirit sometimes guides people through prophecy, and, and that may have been the case here. But Luke doesn't give us any details. He only shows the Spirit closing doors for evangelism in one region while moving Paul and his team to another. That kind of runs contrary to the way we, we think, doesn't it? Um, I mean, how could the Spirit do that? Right? Doesn't, doesn't Asia need the gospel too? What about the folks in Bithynia? I mean, how are they going to be saved apart from hearing the gospel? Isn't the mission about spreading the gospel and yet here they're forbidden to speak in one region? Well, we'll see later that the the gospel does eventually spread into these regions as well. We'll get there in Acts chapter 20. Uh, 1 Peter is also a letter in our New Testament that was written to the churches in Asia and Bithynia. So the gospel eventually gets there, but for the time being, the Spirit chooses not to spread the gospel there. Okay, so we must remember whose mission this really is. It is not ultimately our mission. It is God's mission. He determines who hears and when they hear and who will bring the message. Yes, we plan and we strategize and we work hard to spread the gospel. Paul and his team, you know, they're not just sitting around doing nothing. Uh, The Spirit revealed his course as they were devoted to the Lord's work. But in the end, our plans must be subject to those of the risen Christ. We're not more loving than Christ, we're not wiser than Christ. He calls the shots and we follow as he opens the door for the word to advance. But something else we need to remember here is this. It's not just about getting things done for God. The mission is not just about getting things done for God. The mission isn't just about saving people, though that's desperately needed. The mission is first about you and me Walking with God. You and me walking with God. It's first about knowing God and having fellowship with God. It's about communion with God by the Spirit such that you know what's right and what's wrong and when to say and when to go and when to speak and when to shut up. You know, I fear some of us just dashing around, all busy, busy, busy. We all have our agendas and never once commit things to the Lord in prayer. Never once ask, Father, is this what you would have me do today or in this instance? Would you know if he didn't want you to do something? Would you know if he did want you to do something? 
Beloved, the mission isn't simply about doing for God, but being with God and knowing Him by the Spirit. Mission comes as the fruit of our communion with God. The Spirit may have frustrated some of their plans, but He doesn't leave them guessing. Eventually, He guides them into Macedonia with a vision. Look at uh, verse 9. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What was it that Peter said back in chapter 2, verse 17? In these last days, what was God going to do? God was going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh. And his, your sons and your daughters, they shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. That's what's going on here with Paul. The Spirit gives him a vision. And do notice something about the vision. Uh, it's evaluated. It's evaluated. Uh, the word concluding is in the plural. We concluded that God had called us. Uh, so you might recall uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and 1 Thessalonians 5 where we see that prophecy must be evaluated. Not despised, but tested against Scripture. And that, hip, that seems to be happening here with the vision. The whole team discerns what the vision meant, if anything, at all. And they conclude, it's time to go to Macedonia. You know, you might read God working this way and, and want the same experience. You might even hear about God working this way and want the same experience. You, 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 you want God to speak to you in a vision. You know, just, just show me what I'm supposed to do. The problem is that people often elevate the less clear exceptions over the crystal clear norm. God may use dreams and visions, but they're the exception in Scripture. The normative way God reveals His will for your life and mine is through the written Word of God. The normative way to know the Spirit's guidance is to open your Bible and read the Spirit's words. If you want to hear God speak, read these words out loud. If you don't know God's voice in Scripture, even if a vision did come, you wouldn't be able to tell if it was a devil or not. That's the problem with Mormonism and Islam and Neo-Pentecostalism. All of their stories have leaders once guided by angelic visions, and all of them couldn't discern that such revelations contradicted God's Word in Scripture and in His Son, Jesus Christ. What God has given us in Scripture is clear. And yeah, we can celebrate if He chooses to use miraculous means. I mean, I hear stories of this happening among missionaries. You know, they get a vision about going somewhere just like we see here to, to help somebody out. And, 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 say, and they go and, and they show up and somebody else is there waiting on them. 
Like God told me to meet you here. And they hear the gospel and they believe. That's incredible. And we should rejoice and give thanks. But even if such visions don't come, the scriptures are plenty sufficient. God isn't keeping anything from us. God isn't keeping anything from us. He's not hiding his his will as something mysterious. He's not doing us any wrong. All we need to know him and to know about following him is here for us in scripture. Walk with God, pour over his word, know him truly in Jesus Christ. Pray with your brothers and sisters for discernment and the spirit will guide you as you obey his will. The second observation is this. The Lord Jesus uses his people to speak the gospel. This is a pattern we've seen throughout Acts. The Lord Jesus uses his people to speak the gospel. I just want you to notice something interesting here. They get this miraculous vision and they don't go into the city of Philippi and proclaim the vision. We got this vision. They proclaim Christ. And him crucified. They proclaim the gospel. Why the gospel? Because people need help. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Help them out of what? Help them out of their desperate predicament before God. People need redemption. People are dead in their sins. People have rejected God's law. God's judgment will soon fall on them. Sin, death, and the devil have their hold. And people are powerless to rescue themselves. But the gospel is powerful to save. The gospel announces what God has done in Christ to reconcile sinners to himself. To deliver us from bondage to sin. To defeat Satan's tyranny over us. The gospel is the only message that can help people out of their desperate predicament. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, Romans says. The gospel will help you and me too. As we take God at his word. Paul and his team head into Macedonia with this good news. To help people. Luke details the journey from Troas to Samothrace, which is an island from the Aegean Sea, over to Neapolis and then to Philippi. And in verse 13, Paul sticks to his usual plan, right? He goes into the city and he first tries to find the Jews who are gathering uh, together on the Sabbath. They don't find a synagogue, but they do find a group of women who've gathered to pray. And they're religious women but not saved women. They haven't heard the gospel. And so Paul and his team sit down and speak to the women. We'll get to God's sovereign grace in a minute, but just notice how the disciples speak. I mean, they they just come and they sit down with, with the women and they talk to the women about Christ. They have a conversation and direct them to Christ. God saves people, but he does it as we share the gospel with others. We are his means in spreading the good news. God could uh, write it in the sky. He could send an angel. He could drop a book in their lap from heaven. But he doesn't choose to do that. He chooses to use us. He gives us the greatest privilege ever, telling others about our king and what he has done. 
He makes us participants in his plan to rescue the world. You know, scriptures compare us to nothing but jars of clay. But we, we have a treasure inside. And we share that treasure with others, which is the gospel. So look for the opportunities. You know, they're, they're everywhere. And they come off more often than you might think. I was coaching my son's baseball game the other day. You know, we had some batting drills going on before the game. And a couple of the boys were walking around getting some of the other boys to say curse words and kind of snickering about it. <laughs> like these, some of these kids never even heard these words. And uh, they're, they're just laughing it up about this. And uh, the Spirit just prompts me to say, hey, listen up. Jesus says that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And one kid says, uh, what's that supposed to mean? And I said, well, the filth coming out of your mouth is what you're full of inside. And one boy says, well, can you explain that more? I said, sure, I can explain it more. He's like, here's the gospel presentation. Yeah, enter gospel. You need a new heart. You can't do that. God has to do it for you. He wasn't converted, but I had the opportunity to plant gospel seeds. The rest of them were just ignoring me after that. But this one kid was interested in hearing, uh, hearing what, what I had to say. The question is whether we're ready to be used of the Lord at any moment he's giving us these opportunities. Are we ready to help others by giving them Christ? You know, Dale exemplifies this really well. I don't know how many elders meetings I could count up of Dale sharing the gospel with somebody. There's a thousand inroads to the gospel with with this guy. He's a good example to follow. The question is whether we're being faithful with the opportunities God gives us and remembering that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ spoken into the lives of others. And that's what they do here with these women. And in this case, God saves a woman named Lydia. And that leads to a third observation. The Lord graciously opens hearts to the gospel. The Lord graciously opens hearts to the gospel. Verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia... From the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. So this would be like a, one of the God-fearing Jews. Worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So this lady is kind of like uh, the Cornelius we saw earlier in, in Scripture. You know, you may have thought the vision in verse 10 was miraculous. But far greater is the miracle of conversion. If you truly understand the complete inability of man to save himself, you'll be overjoyed every time you think about conversion. Especially your own conversion. I mean, the heart is the the causal core, it's kind of the control center for life. And, And apart from grace... Jeremiah says that our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Okay? 
That means our moral condition is such that we, we reject God's word. We're, we're born with this bias against it. We don't like it and we prefer our own brands of spirituality. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It has no ability to. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, The God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. This is all of us, apart from grace. But what happens here? Why does Lydia receive the gospel? Why does she tune in to Paul's message? Not just kind of giving mental assent like, oh, I got that information. But she is fixed upon what this message is revealing about God's Son. Why does her rebellious bias disappear? Because the Lord opened her heart to, to, to pay attention to the gospel. That's, that's how anybody gets saved. The Lord graciously opens their heart. He gives them a new heart, a new affection for Christ, new heart eyes that can see God's glory in the Son. That's conversion. I mean, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, The God who said, Let light shine out of darkness. What has He done? He has shown in our hearts that we can see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That happens with Lydia. Sure, we can say Lydia chose Christ in that moment, but she chose Christ because God chose her. God gave her a new heart and was open to his gospel. And the same apparently happened for her entire household in verse 15. Remember in this that salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He gets all the glory for saving us. He deserves our praise because without his gracious initiative, we wouldn't have paid attention. We wouldn't have seen the glory of Christ. We wouldn't have new hearts, but because of His grace, we have come to know Him. And that's why we sing, and that's why we we give Him thanks. That's why you sung the songs you did a minute ago, that by grace I have been redeemed, and by grace I have been restored. He opened our hearts just like He did Lydia's I can remember for 17 years my mom taught me the gospel and I rejected it outright until one night when I was invited to a a gathering and I heard the gospel again preached just like my mom's been telling me and God saved me. God saved me. It wasn't because I, I, I tallied up all the things that I've been learning the last 17 years of my life and thought... Yeah, that makes sense. I'll believe. No, it had nothing to do. God just opened my eyes to the preaching of Christ in that moment. Just like he did Lydia here. None of us can boast or grow proud about this. Our salvation is all of grace. It's all a gift. 
This should also encourage us to pray for the Lord to save others. We pray because God is sovereign. We pray because God can open the heart to hear the good news. So pray for the Lord to open the hearts of your children to the gospel. And pray the same for your extended family members. And pray for, for Him to open the hearts of your friends and to open the hearts of your co-workers and to open the hearts of people in white settlements. You know, years ago, a friend invited me to do some door-to-door evangelism with him. And he, he told me to meet him Thursday, 5 o'clock, on the steps of our dorm. And so I showed up ready for evangelism. And you know what he had us doing first? Praying for an hour. And we didn't go out to evangelize for four weeks. We show up at five o'clock on Thursday and pray for an hour. Then he had us pray some more on each occasion before we would go out after that first month. And the Lord opened the hearts of many people as we were sharing the gospel. You may know people that are just hardened to God. Uh, People who've had lifelong commitments to some other religion. People who are mastered by sex and money and power and alcohol. People controlled by fear and bitterness and substance abuse. Their hearts are enslaved just as yours was until the Lord opened your heart to the gospel. He can do the same for others. God is not bound by the hardness of human hearts. He has the power to change hearts. And our job is to speak the Word of God faithfully, to plead with others to repent and put their faith in Christ and leave the results to the Lord. Our confidence can never rest in a particular evangelism method. Like, well, if I just say this, this, and this, people are going to get saved. Hey, you know what? I'll even publish it and start selling it at Lifeway. Guaranteed results. Baloney. People don't get saved because of our clever methods. They get saved because the Lord chooses to open their hearts. So pray He does so as we speak the Word. Trust that He will do so for some when they hear the Word. The Holy Spirit does not miss any of His elect. Can't you see him working here? Don't go over there. You go over here. Don't go to that region. You come to this region. Why? I got Lydia that I want saved in Macedonia. The Holy Spirit doesn't miss any of his elect. He seeks them out and he saves them. So trust him to do the same using you. Your time, your prayers, and your words. All right, last observation. The Lord Jesus produces hospitality in His people to care for one another and especially His missionaries. The Lord Jesus produces hospitality in His people to care for one another and especially His missionaries. Verse 15. After she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord... Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She really had to convince them, right? 
You may recall chapters 2 and chapters 4 where you see the gospel enter a community and what do they start doing? All of a sudden, they're eating in each other's homes like every day. Showing, pouring over the word together in each other's homes. Hospitality occurred so regularly that to become a member of the church was almost like having keys to each other's houses. That's how much the, 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 they became part of each other's lives. Rosaria Butterfield has a new book out. I haven't read it yet, but I look forward to reading it called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's all about hospitality. Well, this picture that we're, that we're seeing here, that, that we see there in, in the early parts of Acts, they fit uh, some of the commands that we find elsewhere in the New Testament. Romans 12, 13, for example. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You're not showing hospitality, you're disobeying God. Uh, Hebrews 13, 2. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers. 1 Peter 4, 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Lydia is a great example here. The gospel saves her and then produces hospitality. Now, she's a seller of purple. She obviously makes enough to to own a house and a house big enough to house these other uh, men. We know of at least four, right? Paul, Silas, Timothy, and now Luke is with them. Right? So we see here that her house is not just hers. It's first the risen Lord Jesus is now and she's using her house to uh, serve God's kingdom. But her hospitality is somewhat unique here because she's housing God's missionaries. Uh, She has so aligned herself with their gospel that she wants to do everything to support that gospel. And Jesus actually commends people uh, like this in in the Gospel of Matthew and and also in Luke. But I'll give you Matthew 10, uh, where we see that showing hospitality to Jesus' disciples, especially those who have been sent out to take the word into new regions, showing hospitality to Jesus' disciples was to receive Jesus himself. Matthew 10, verse 40. Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple... Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And Lydia is going for the reward. Right? She not only identifies with Jesus in baptism, she identifies with Jesus by taking care of his messengers. And that becomes even clearer when she does it again in Acts chapter 16, verse 40... After they get out of prison. And so you got the magistrates and all the top officials who don't want these guys to stay in their city. And Lydia is once again taking them in to her home. 
She welcomes them as family. She doesn't care what the magistrates and the other authorities are saying. Does the gospel bear the same kind of fruit in your life? Do you show hospitality to others in the church? Uh, are, are we opening our homes regularly to, to one another? Uh, throughout Acts, it seems to be the pattern, like the gospel comes, people get saved, come over, and let's serve one another. It happens again with a Philippian jailer uh, later on in, in Acts 16. Do you see your home as a gift from the risen Lord Jesus to care for His people? I'm thankful that some of you do open your doors so frequently uh, and freely. A few of you have even hosted our missionaries when they, when they come through town. I send out an email and I get five emails back. They can stay with us. They can stay with us. They can, right, right. That's great. That's a good pattern. But others of us can grow in this area. Others of us need to see our homes as, as less, less and less as places to go hide. And more and more as places to serve and refresh one another in, in the mission. That growth will only come when you see the gospel more fully. Romans 15 verse 7 says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And don't just welcome folks who are exactly like you. These commands for hospitality in the New Testament come to churches who are filled with people of various ethnicities and traditions and economic status, but who have all been welcomed by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And so the Bible says to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. We were once separated from God and and cut off. And it started when the woman and man took the forbidden fruit and they ate And as a consequence, God banished them from His presence. But now, because of the blood spilled for us on the cross, Christ brings people once more into God's presence. And you know what He does? He spreads for us a feast. And He says, take and eat. Do this in remembrance of Me. He was lifted up, the Scriptures tell us, so that He might draw all peoples to Himself. Beloved, Christ's welcome at His own expense is the matchless example of hospitality. Because of our welcome in Him, I would just exhort you to welcome one another as well. Paul, would you come and pray the Lord open our hearts to give attention to His Word?